Remain standing as we read Psalm 2. So I will read Psalm 2. That's our main preaching text. Psalm 2. Hear God's word. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. He will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage, the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, O king, kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear, rejoice with trembling, kiss the sun, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Here ends the reading of God's word. You may be seated. I do want to thank Kenton for uh, helping with the leading of the singing. <clears throat> and when I did my pastorate years and years and years ago, sometimes I had to pick up uh, a child and hold the child during the sermon. That's fine with me. I enjoy doing that. So uh, I'm glad Levi's got that, that uh, spirit in him. It's all potential. Yes, we have to look forward to the future. <clears throat> and quite frankly, that's what Psalm 2 is all about, the future. Now, uh, last time I preached, uh, anybody remember when I preached last time? It was a couple of months ago, I think. And uh, the same passage. I am not done with this passage. This is one of those passages that uh, goes on and on and on. Uh, Pastor Dave has been preaching through the parables, and uh, the latest parable that he was dealing with was the story in Luke 16 of the rich man and Lazarus and what happened to them. And so far, he's got three sermons out of that one. And I spoke to him afterwards. I said, I think I could have six months worth of sermons, even at that one. I mean, there is so much in it. Well, here's Psalm 2 with so much in it. Now, we can't say everything. I'm watching the clock as best as I, my eyes can see. It's a little bit fuzzy. But uh, Psalm 2 is uh, a tremendous psalm. It's a song. It's out of the book of Psalms, the book of Psalms. So uh, we have been singing a, a parts of it, paraphrase of it, in our hymns. And Psalm 2 
is God's plan for the world. What is God's plan for the world? Now, uh, my wife and I are news junkies. We watch the news. We listen to the news. We run from the front door to the car, which has our cable, and we don't want to miss a word that's going on between the house and the car. We want to make sure we hear everything, uh, whatever committees are uh, doing their committee work in Congress or Senate and so forth. There are TV networks uh, just designed for that. And after a while, it can get quite uh, irritating. After a while, it can get quite burdening. Years ago, uh, the news was usually your local news on for 15 minutes, twice a day. And then they went to a half an hour, twice a day. I said, where are they going to get the news for a half an hour, twice a day? And then a few years ago, they had news on... 24 hours. I thought that was once a week, 24 hours. No, 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 that's 24 hours once a day. All days, as a matter of fact. What could they come up with? And quite frankly, it gets depressing. If you're going to catch your uh, direction for your day, your life, the freeway, the weather, and all that kind of stuff, it gets depressing. But they all speak from a particular viewpoint as well. It's not as though they're just picking on uh, certain facts and reporting those certain facts and and they're just unrelated news items. No, uh, there is a a certain world and life view that's coming across on TV and uh, computer and all those other networks. Let me give you God's news for the world. I'll start out by asking a question, a generic question. And you think about it. Is the world getting better and better? Is the world getting better and better? Well, if you listen to the news, it also depends upon your uh, political, philosophic association. You can actually pick the, the news network that you would like to hear. And then you hear everything that's tremendous and there's such a variety of things to listen to. But they all have a world view. A view of the world, if you will. How is the world doing? If you get it from the news, it's getting pretty bleak and pretty uh, dark, depressing. Sometimes we turn on the news and then turn off the sound. And we kind of make it up as they go along. How wonderful things really are. But how should the Christian look at the world? And when I say world, I'm talking about civilization and history and what's going on in not only your personal life, but uh, the rest of the world too. This particular psalm deals with the whole world. I'll use the word culture Culture in its broadest sense. It's dealing with that. Psalm 1 is all about the righteous man. It's all about the individual man. There's the the righteous man. Blessed is the man. Psalm 1. Blessed is the man. 
that doesn't sit, stand, or uh, walk. Now, that's where I am in my age at 77. I'm, I'm at that particular point. But it's really talking about the individual believer against the world, the wicked. So it's quite personalized in Isaiah, I mean, in uh, Psalm 1. But then when you get into Psalm 2, it expands to the world. And it opens up with this particular question, gives an answer to it. And that question is a provocative question. Why do the nations, plural again, are in an uproar or in a rage? I like the old King James. They're in a rage. The peoples, there's nations, peoples, devising a vain plan. In other words, this is God speaking, addressing why the world is in such a rage. Verse 2, the kings of the earth take their stand. In other words, there is a conspiracy. The kings, rulers, leaders of the world that have a conspiracy against, notice what it says, the rulers take counsel together, verse 2, what's it say? Against the Lord and his Mashiach or Messiah. So there is a unified plotting going on. Now, this is picked up by the Apostle Peter. If you turn to Acts, look at Acts, chapter 4. This is Peter's second message, Acts chapter 4. And Peter's describing what's going on with Christ. What happened to Christ? He is the Messiah. Why hasn't Israel accepted their own Messiah? And if you jump down to, let's see, verse uh, 21, chapter 4, 21. Verse 21, chapter 4, verse 21 of Acts. After further threats, they let them go, that is Peter and John, who were threatened because they were teaching and preaching in the name of Jesus. They could not decide how to punish them. All the people were praising God for what had happened. Verse 23. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people, that is back to the believers, and reported all that the chief priests had done and said. And when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer, a united prayer. So here is a prescribed prayer. It says this, O sovereign Lord, O Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth, the sea and everything that is in it. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Quote, Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage, the peoples plot in vain, the kings of the earth take their stand, the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed? Dot, 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 dot. Now maybe they read the whole psalm, but that's an excerpt of that psalm. You get the gist of it. And here's Peter using Psalm 2 to describe what happened to Jesus and what happens to the world about Jesus. Keep going. 
Verse 27, indeed, Herod, now he identifies, Peter identifies what's going on here. Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you, Lord, anointed. Now notice that language here. Peter is going through Psalm 2, and you're finding the application. What's Psalm 2 talking about? It's talking about what's going on. What happened to Jesus? Who was Herod? Who was Pilate? Who were the scribes and Pharisees and the religious leaders? Where are they in all this plan, this plotting that's going on? Jews and Gentiles have gathered together. Now, it's not as though uh, they gathered in the same room, necessarily. It's not as though uh, they met at a certain place and all plotted this thing out. They didn't have to do that. But nonetheless, there is a unified plotting against the Lord, Jehovah, Yahweh, and his Messiah. It happened to be at this particular point, Herod and Pontius Pilate and the Jews keep going there. Verse 28, they did what your power and will had decided beforehand. In other words, they're just carrying out, you're seeing in Psalm 2, what God has planned through Jesus for the world, and they're carrying that out. It's been predestined before the foundation of the world, as another translation says. Keep going there. They did that which your power and will had decided beforehand would happen. Now, Lord, now here's the prayer. Now, Lord, consider their threats, enable your servant to speak, and your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and to perform miraculous things. So here's Peter giving us God's viewpoint Now turn back to Psalm 2. Back to Psalm 2. And we'll go through this somewhat quickly. But I'll point out some things here. The first thing we meet in the first three to four verses is there are two plans of redemption. Two plans of salvation going on. That's all. There are two plans. And not just Plans as such, but plans of salvation. And the world has a plan of salvation. And that plan of salvation that the world has, whatever culture, language, religion, they're all united, says the Bible, against the Lord and his Messiah. And then what are they complaining about? What What is the world complaining about in Psalm 2? against the Lord and his Messiah, what do they say? Uh, Let us break their chains. Let us throw off their fetters or their bonds. The world believed that they were crippled by this Yahweh, this Jehovah and his Messiah. Now, uh, there's one thing I like to do. One of my studies is uh, studying the rabbis. Uh, A rabbi is a a Jew. 
he's not uh, a believer in Jesus Christ. There are rabbis who believe in Jesus Christ. I'm a rabbi. I believe in Jesus Christ. It's true. But there are other rabbis that do, do not believe that Jesus is the Messiah. We find constraint because of your God and this Jesus fellow. So I like to study the arguments of the rabbis, how that this has nothing to do with Jesus. This has nothing to do with the New Testament. This has nothing to do with anything you Christians talk about. This is just talking about uh, other individuals that are uh, upset and are trashed and trashing uh, the Jews themselves. The Jews had great persecution even in the Old Testament times, New Testament times, now and so forth and all that other stuff. But so far as the rabbis are concerned, uh, this has nothing to do with Jesus. Their basic argument is Jesus isn't mentioned here. There's no Jesus here. Doesn't say uh, the Messiah. Doesn't say Jesus is the Messiah. Uh, another thing, it doesn't mention the, the, uh, hmm, the death of Christ. Now, for us as Christians, the death of Christ is paramount. We talk about the cross. The Apostle Paul says, Woe is me if I do not preach Christ and him crucified. And not only that, the Apostle Paul wrote the most definitive argument uh, for the resurrection in the same epistle of 1 Corinthians. So it's death and resurrection of Christ. I don't see that in Psalm 2. As a matter of fact, I don't see anything about the church in Psalm 2. Seems to be missing. Quite frankly, uh, the more I study through that, uh, it's one thing that the, the rabbis have to say. They have to argue this. That Jesus, the one we believe in who is the Messiah, didn't fulfill anything from the Old Testament. Not a thing. The argument is he, he, couldn't, he couldn't fulfill some things and leave the others undone. So far as the rabbis are concerned, Jesus doesn't fulfill anything in the scriptures. Whether he's born in Bethlehem, uh, whether he dies, Isaiah 53 about the suffering servant, for them this has nothing to do with Jesus. Now, I've been studying their arguments over and over and over again. So when I preach through this psalm too, when I preach through this text, I'm thinking in my mind, how do they understand the text? But how does the text teach me? Here was Peter, who was a Jew. Peter was a Jew. And how he expounded Psalm 2. Where did he get that exposition from? Where did he get this application from? Did he just think it up on himself? Uh, I kind of follow Peter. Who do you follow? Well, I kind of like Paul better. Well, I follow Timothy. Or I follow, which of the apostles? I like Matthew. Well, I like Luke better. Mm -hmm, can't do that. As a matter of fact, uh, when I was in college, I used to love to challenge my teachers. And they would say, show me the words of Christ. And I said, well, quite frankly, I can't show you the words of Christ. Because Jesus never wrote anything. He said a lot of things. But that's what Matthew says he said. Or that's what... Mark says he said, but that's what, you following me? Luke said what he did. That's what John said he said. We are stuck with the apostles. They're the ones that proclaim this word of Christ, this message of Christ. Where did they get it from? Well, they got it from the Holy Spirit, granted. They got it from God. But they also got it from the text itself. The text itself teaches about this coming one, this anointed one. Keep going. Uh, back to Psalm 2. 
Uh, verse 4. The one enthroned in heaven, he laughs at them. Incidentally, for your uh, edification and growth and grace, the word laugh is the word Isaac or Yitzhak. He named his uh, son, that is Abraham's son, the laughing one. And it wasn't because Isaac was laughing. Who was laughing? It was Isaac's mother, Sarah, was laughing. She wasn't laughing in joy. She was kind of laughing in kind of a mocking fashion. So here is this laughter, and it's a mocking fact. God looks at the nations. Bring them all together. Do this together. United, work it out. Doesn't make any difference. And God, who sits in the heavens, mocks them. He simply laughs at them. You know, when I hear all the news on the, on the television and the computer and read all that stuff, I get rather depressed. There's not a whole lot I can do about laughing about it. Boy, I, start, I want to cry about all this, what's going on. And yet the text says, no, God sees what's going on. He's in control of this. And it's kind of like, are you kidding? Are you trying to, to, com- to uh, conspire against the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth? And as Peter said in Acts chapter 4, Oh Lord, you are the creator of the heavens and the earth and everything in it. And yet, there are the nations. Now I'm, I'm accenting on the language here of the nations conspiring together. Politically, socially, every other way, the world is conspiring against Yahweh, the Lord God, and his anointed one. Keep going, verse 5, when he, re- he rebukes them in his anger, terrifies them in his wrath, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy hill. Now notice what it says. With all that going on, conspiracy, trials and tribulations, all that going on, here comes the Lord that says, and yet I myself, it's the accent on the word I there, I have installed. I have set my king. Notice the my's in there are very important. My anointed one, my king. Now the word anointed uh, is used in the Old Testament. Uh, it refers to all kinds of things. Kings were anointed. Prophets were anointed. Prophet and, and priests were anointed. Things were anointed. Rocks were anointed. Everything. So the word uh, anointed there is just referring to all kinds of things. And the rabbis would respond back with, you see, it doesn't refer to Jesus. It refers to everybody. It refers to anything, even rocks, if you want. So it's not clear. But the text seems to be clear. Here is Jehovah God, the covenant. God says, my anointed, I've set him apart. Now you go through the Gospels in the New Testament. You've got to read the Gospels in the New Testament. Let's see, which one do I prefer? Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John? Yes. And each one has an exposition of Psalm 2. Each one of them has an exposition. Jesus feeds the 5,000. The people are just, just enamored. It's wonderful. He must be the prophet to come, the Messiah to come. And Jesus detected what was going on. He says, they're coming to make me king. Jesus, the whole point of the gospel passage is, you're not going to make me king. 
Now, maybe David became king because of the leaders of Israel. Maybe Sam, Saul became king. Maybe Samuel was a judge and, and a prophet and a priest, and he was anointed by those individuals. But this Mashiach, one that's coming, isn't anointed like anybody else. Wholly unique. He's done by the Lord himself. Keep going there. Verse 7. He says to me, now there is the anointed one speaking about his father. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Today I have begotten you. That's the more literal translation. Today I have begotten. You are my son. Now that to me is so pronounced. Uh, turn with me to uh, John chapter 5. Take a look at this. John chapter 5. Look at verse 19, Gospel of John. Jesus had just healed somebody. The man that had been 38 years. He healed him. Picked up his... Uh, bedroll, walking around, the religious leader says, what in the world are you doing carrying your uh, bedroll with you? It wasn't, thank God you've been healed. That's really good. I'm glad you've been healed. No, their attack was on, the guy was doing something in violation of the Sabbath rest. You couldn't carry your, your bedroll on the Sabbath. And, and the man said, well, uh, the, the man that healed me he gave me permission. He healed me after 38 years. Uh, look down in chapter 5, verse 19. He found out it was Jesus that did all that. Verse 19. Then Jesus answered them and said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, the Son, now notice his language here, he appeals to himself. Now, he's talking about himself. The son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the father doing. For whatsoever he, the father, does, the son also does in like manner. Uh, and notice that language there. He also does in the same way, in like manner. Verse 20. The Father loves the Son and shows him all the things that he himself does. And he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel. Now what gets the religious leaders upset, they want to kill Jesus because he keeps talking about his Father. I am the Son, he's the Father. He talks about my Father. Now, in our language, we talk about God like that. God is our Father, yes. God is my Father. And, and there's a sense in which I am his son by faith in Jesus Christ. We can talk about that. Fine. Uh, that becomes normal language to us. But back in those days, 2,000 years ago, you didn't talk that way. You didn't talk so freely about God as my father. Our father will go for, but not my father. He says this in such a personal way that as you read through the rest of uh, John chapter 5 and then 6, 10, 12, and so forth. Every time Jesus says, My Father, and I am the Son, lo and behold, they get livid. They want to kill him. Now here is the conspiracy to kill. 
Now, yes, it's true. The word cross is not mentioned in Psalm 2. Understand that, yes. A crucifixion is not mentioned there. But what is mentioned there is that in Psalm 2, the Lord would raise up his Messiah amidst the objections of the world, Jews included. Turn back to Psalm 2. Turn back to Psalm 2. I have set, verse 6 there, yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree the Lord said to me, you are my son. I mean, that's such a powerful uh, text there. You are my son. So they went up on the Mount of Transfiguration. Matthew chapter 17. They go up on the Mount of Transfiguration. It was Jesus and who else? Yes. Peter, James, and John. Three specially selected out of the twelve. And it says there was a great transformation in Christ. He began to glow. And the story goes on as they were on this hill. And a cloud encompassed them. And Peter says, this is great. This is tremendous. Let's, uh, let's talk about this. Let's make a tabernacle for each one of it. Yes, let's build a tabernacle. And the voice out of heaven says, you don't know what you're talking about. The voice out of heaven says this. This is my son. And you listen to him. Now, all the way through the Old Testament, started with Exodus chapter 4, Israel was known as the son of God. Moses said to Pharaoh, uh, thus says the Lord, let my people, my son, Israel, go. Israel was known as the son, the son of God, as a nation, as a people. But as you read through the Old Testament, you begin to hear there is another son going on who is as Jewish as anybody else is Jewish from the, from the tribe of Judah, the, the household of David. And it gets very personal, this my son individual. And when you get to the New Testament, the Jewish writers of the New Testament said there was a voice from heaven. And it said on three different occasions, it says, this one's my son. You listen to him. And you listen to him forever. Back to Psalm 2. It's, this is the middle portion. Uh, verse uh, 8. Ask of me. This is the father now saying to his son. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance. The inheritance of Israel was the land of Canaan. The inheritance of the Messiah is the world. Same language of inheritance. As Israel did inherit the land of Canaan. Yes, Israel inherited the land of Canaan. Then you begin to find out that the boundary lines of that inheritance begin to blossom, begin to explode, as it were. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance. All you have to, this is the father saying to the son, all you have to do is ask. That's all. Asking is pray. Where in the New Testament, especially the Gospels, does Jesus pray to the Father for the nations? All the way through the Gospels, Jesus is praying for the nations. Jesus sees the crowds that he hadn't fed yet uh, as, as sheep scattered. And Jesus says, pray the Lord of the harvest to raise up those that could 
harvest, cultivate those that are in need. Pray the Lord of the harvest. Well, who is the Lord of the harvest? But Mashiach himself, Jesus himself. And Jesus says to his disciples, all you have to do is ask. Psalm 2. The father says it to the son. The son says it to the disciples. All you have to do is but ask. Because it's an impossible task. You can't do it on your own. You can't invent this on your own. It comes through that work of Christ, through that work of that Holy Spirit. Finishing up, ask of me, he says, and I will give you the nations for your inheritance, the ends of the earth. This isn't just a local, provincial uh, promise to the people of Israel. This is now worldwide. Keep reading there. Verse 9. Uh, verse 9 begins with, uh-oh. Verse 9. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Here is the work of the Messiah. Now what I'm trying to argue from this text is, this isn't just talking about the first coming of Christ. Yes, I can see it's referring to the first coming of Christ. Peter says that in Acts chapter 4. And then we have this destruction going on in verse 9, dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. That's pretty uh, powerful there. That's referring to the second coming. What goes on in the middle? What's happening in the meantime? Well, in the meantime, and I've listened to a multitude of sermons on this, and they seem to miss it all the time. Not everybody, but they seem to miss it. Yes, we got the first coming. Thank God for that. We have songs who uh, have a whole, uh, you get a two-week vacation for that first coming, and the angels are singing, and the kids are putting on a program, and it's just wonderful, and he reigns as king. Uh, well, what, what happens between those two times? There's a famous fella, uh, a Christian fella, who wrote a book. Uh, and essentially, the opening part of the book is, you know, when Jesus comes back again, when Jesus comes back again, he's really going to change everything. He's really got the second coming. Let me tell you, if you don't get your act together now, you can't wait till the second coming. You will not be able to say, oops, uh-uh, repentance is over with. Time of mercy is done. And what happens is that the message of the gospel is believe in the second coming and you shall be saved. That's a true statement. That's true. But that's not what the text is. And that's not the message of the gospel. That is a message in the gospel. Yes, we believe in his second coming when he finalizes everything. I usually talk about the second coming as the final coming. When he really... But you know what? When he really does his damage, it's in the cross. It's in the cross that he does the real damage. It's when he dies on the cross for our sins. When the government put him on the cross. When the Jews themselves, the old covenant people, put him on the cross. They thought, we've done with this fella. It's over with. Now we're rid of him. Boy, they will never be, they will never be rid of him because he rose again. Never to die. Now we're going to have the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. And that is a presentation or representation 
of that death of Christ. You remember his, you proclaim, what's, the, what's 1 Corinthians 11 say? You proclaim his death until he comes. Not when he comes, but until he comes. And that death and resurrection are the, the work of Christ going on. The dashing, notice what it says, dash them in pieces. Uh, the other translation, it's called the Greek translation of the Old Testament, says in verse 9, he shall shepherd his people. He shall shepherd his people. That's used in the book of Revelation. One says here, this Hebrew said, the Hebrew text says, you shall, you shall break them with a rod of iron, and in fact, you shall shepherd them. Because the world belongs to God. His people are worldwide and now the invitation, it's given in verse 10. Here's the invitation. Soft lights, music in the background, people humming and singing, just as I am. Verse 10. Now, therefore, you people. No, 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 no. Read it again. Now, therefore, you individuals. No, 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 no. True. But notice what it says. Now, therefore, be wise, O kings. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. Now, this can apply to lawyers for sure. This can apply to politicians. This can apply to people that run for office or stand for office or do something in the office. The paper clips in the office, anybody else. But this is referring to the nations. This is referring to the leaders in our country, in every country. He exhorts them. Verse 11, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the sun. Oh, I love that expression. The rabbis don't like kiss the sun. Uh, in a rabbinic translation, it's something like be pure, be pure. And in Sunday school, I'm going to teach in Sunday school, and you can bring up all your questions in Sunday school about this particular text, and I can go over that, why they say it this way as, as opposed to this way. But this one uh, points to the Messiah. All the way through, it's the Lord and his Messiah. Look to Jesus. Look to the Messiah. He's a powerful Lord. He died, rose again. He waits till all his enemies be made the footstool of his uh, feet. And you... And the, the message of the church of Jesus Christ is directed at the leadership. Yes, it's directed to us as individuals. I'm a nobody. I don't do anything in life. I just sit around and watch TV and so forth. But this is also directed to the leadership in our country, in every country, in any country. It says, kiss the sun, lest he be angry and you perish in the way when his wrath is kindled but slightly... Blessed are those who put their trust in him. There is that invitation. And that invitation goes to the leadership. Do we pray for the leadership in our country? Well, not just in our country. Yes, we have a good-sized country. But how about the leadership in my city, my village, my community, the school board? This board, that board, my business, my employer, as well as employees. This applies to all of them. All of them, all of us, are required to kiss the sun. 
because he's the one in charge of this world. And the world won't get any better until they submit to the Son. Now let me ask you the question again. Is the world getting better and better? Well, if you look at the world like this, if you look at the world in this slice of time, 2000, what is it, 2023 or 1970, uh, about 1914, uh, 1776, you look at that slice of time and things are believed. But you look at it in terms of the light that he gives us for the world, yes, the world is getting better and better. Ultimately, he's in, he's in charge. <laughs> I don't mean ultimately then. I mean ultimately now. Authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Now go out and disciple the world. Don't worry about kings. You can't do anything about kings. We have, uh, there's a verse uh, in the Bible about separation of church and state. What? Never heard of it. Not in the Bible. Our leadership is to follow Jesus just as much as I'm to follow, just as much as Christians are to follow, even non-Christians. He is the Savior of everybody. And we call upon everybody to submit to him. And there's a time coming when they will. Many won't, but many even more so. An innumerable host will. And that's good news. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word that you gave to us. This vision, it's not merely a dream in some colloquial sense of the word, but this is your vision, your decree, as it were. He spoke of the decree that the nations are to submit and that the nations will. And we pray for that day to come. We pray for that for our nation, for our leadership, uh, locally, in our cities, our counties, our communities, our state, but also across the country and across the world. And even for your people Israel, that they too would, would submit to Yeshua HaMashiach. We ask your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen.